Hello, Mech Warriors, and welcome to the Mech Bay, where we fix your mech and fix your game. Hello, everybody, and welcome to part two of the Mech Bay podcast, episode Lost Tech and Found. If you are just now joining us or want a refresher, in part one, we covered all of the new weapons and why we think you should advance the storyline and the tech level. I'm back with Kurt and Denim, and we're going to get right into it, covering all the new equipment that's not designed purely to kill you. Things like XL engines, case, probes, ECM, even ferrofibrous armor. So let's kick off our deep dive with everyone's favorite air conditioning unit, the double heatsink. So still same one ton, it just takes up three times the space. So I think we can all agree that this is a pure quality, quality of life upgrade. I would say yes, because so many mechs have the, the free 10 heat sinks that are in their engine. Well, they get free 10 heat sinks. Most of them can be contained in the engine. And heat sinks in the engine are also affected by the double heat sink upgrade. So in many cases, it doesn't take up any extra crits. It just doubles your heat output ability. It's really only noticeable on those light mechs. Or the extremely large mechs with, I mean, the large mechs with extreme amounts of weapons. So all the Black Knights and... The awesome. <laughs> awesomes, yep. The things that are lugging around the now-doing-15-heat heat PPCs. <laughs> yes. But yeah, no, this is a, I will always take this upgrade if it's offered to me. Only mm-hmm. in a few cases where I'm not actually generating more than 10 heat will I not consider it. Yep, very, very few situations would I not take double heat sink upgrade. Another piece of technology that's designed not to get us killed is the anti-missile system, or AMS. And that's half a ton and one crit and needs a ton of ammo. The AMS is a straight minus four to the cluster table of your opponent's role if they hit you and your AMS is active. To me, this is the direct counter to Artemis and Narc. Yeah, well, it's even more. It's even... The only downside is the uh, the ammo for it. Yes, um, but I, what I mean by, by, uh, by um, counter is that I, I believe in playtesting, Narc and Artemis were just so powerful that they're like, we have to come up with some option that somebody has to to offset this uh, this insane amount of missiles that are that are now hitting, but um, uh, I actually have very very few builds that that use this. Yeah, it is a rarer tech for most Star League mechs. It's, they've replaced AMS with machine guns and vice versa. I would take the machine guns off of a Battlemaster to put on AMS instead. Yes, exactly. Yep. For if you don't need the machine gun, the AMS is a direct put in the whole replacement i definitely think it's worth it when now lrms and srms can hit you so much easier if they are taking artemis or narc or streaks well it's also nice uh if you're using tac tac ops rules because it's a a range one machine gun yes yes so there's no reason not to take it in place of a machine gun in that in that situation because if you're still playing against com, uh, combined arms, it is always good to have something that can mess infantry up. I don't know why, but I just really love the thought of like a little machine gun on my mech that's just purely designed to take down enemy missiles. 
And in a game where your opponent's probably banking on using a lot of SRMs or LRMs to just like sit back in the backfield and kind of rain down, make sure that you can't get to them before taking lots of fire. Just throwing a quick AMS is really kind of fun. It might not do a whole lot in actual game terms, but it's just going to go into his brain and now he's going to be thinking, okay, for every shot of missiles I do, not all of them are going to hit even more so than normal. And that might change up how he plays. He might try to get closer to get a better modifier on you. It's just going to change everything up and throw his game out of whack. Another missile-related weapon is the TAG. So that's the target acquisition gear, I believe. Mm -hmm. And that is a 5-9-15 range. So this is almost like a longer-range narc but what exactly does a tag do, Denim? Me again, huh? Okay. Yeah, I mean, uh, like throwing so, it to the Catalyst demo team guy. <laughs> I kind of have to do this. Um, ta- tag is a, is a laser that does zero damage. But what it does is it uses things like the Arrow 4 missile artillery system, which I really enjoy. Uh, and it lets you pinpoint damage uh, on mechs that are firing those. If you have a if you have a light scout mech, or I prefer to put it on infantry, just give infantry a bunch of tag weapons, and then you have a bunch of upgraded catapults that use the arrow four um, way on the other side of the map, or even off map. Um, when they fire their missiles, any mech that has been hit with a tag weapon, uh, it homes in on. Yeah, really. In this time period, it's only usable for uh, artillery. So that off scout 7k is only good for artillery. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> God, yes. Um, now, correct me if I'm wrong. Like, I don't know if it's changed at all, but back back in the old days, if the spotter hit the target with tag, the homing missile, the Arrow 4 homing missile that came in would hit that mech, mech on a 4 or higher. You just roll 2d6, and a 4 or higher, it just hits. No, like, no matter what kind of terrain the mech is in or or what kind of movement modifiers it gets. If true, I very much like that. That's how I remember it. But unfortunately, firing tag counts as firing a weapon. So even though hidden units can spot for indirect uh, indirect fire um, missiles and artillery, they cannot use a tag weapon without becoming unhidden. And speaking of hidden units... Another piece of technology that was introduced to sniff out hidden units is the Beagle Active Probe. That's one and a half tons for two crits. So I wouldn't consider the Beagle Active Probe a weapon that really has a purpose in normal classic games just because it's specifically there to find hidden units. Um, I, I have done many, many missions with hidden units, and the first time we used a Beagle Active Probe it just showed me how powerful it can be. But most games you play in the store don't use hidden units very often. I can't remember the last time. Um, no, we did. We did one one mission. Uh, I don't think you were there, Josh, but you may have been, Kurt, where yeah. we had um, where we had uh, several hidden units on the board that uh, that the other team had to find. Beagle Active Probe would have made that game so much faster and pretty pointless. Yeah, it's also nice for some of those. Like I remember, there's a uh, mission out of uh, Error Report 
thirty fifty that uh you got a bonus for you had to scan objectives and yes. if you had a probe you did it in like half the time. So that w- that was a nice bonus for those missions. Yep, because it costs tons and it costs crits and and people want it to be useful. Um, and I think I think they did a pretty good job of making this. This is one of those things that I would that I would call like a a uh, flavor equipment to yeah. make to make your games. It might um, it might increase the amount of time spent on certain turns in the game, but for people who have been playing a long time, it just opens up new new mission types, new opportunities for them to try different types of tactics. Well, and it goes back to really giving a role again to light mechs. Yes. Um, give them the probe. They're the scout. They're actually a scout. Correct. Uh, same thing with Guardian ECM. Um, it, it's it's very handy, especially if it's on a scout mech who's not really going to be in the combat anyway. I mean, Guardian ECM has a little bit more use than just that, though. It, yes, yes, but it's what I use it for mostly. But yes, you are correct. Um, I honestly don't use ECM a lot, so uh, take this one away. <laughs> <laughs> so Guardian, EC- Guardian ECM, it's one and a half tons and two crits, just like a Beagle Active Probe, but it essentially shuts down most of the fancy new electronic technology that's introduced, so... Streaks just work. Streak SRM twos work just like regular SRM twos. Narcs are unaffected, or I should say disabled. And Artemis four, when it's passing through the ECM six hex bubble, it is turned off as well. Guardian ECM is essentially another. We got all these new technologies to kill you. This is resetting it. I, I do remember Guardian ECM being an annoying addition when. A lot of people spent a lot of time and and in-game money upgrading their mechs. And one Guardian ECM mech just said, yeah, all that stuff that you just bought and and used space and tonnage for is useless. Yeah, I definitely think it's one of the counters for, like I said, they upplayed the offensive and then they needed something to balance out the defensive side. And and that just shuts most of that down. I will say... For ECM, if people want to use it in a game, I really think the uh, tactical operations counter ECM rules are a must. What are those? Basically, your ECM has two modes. It either has a uh, the normal mode that we've talked about, or it has a, dis- a counter or a disruption mode. So if someone is using ECM against you, you could turn your own ECM into a counter unit, and then it just cancels out that other ECM, thus allowing your narcs, your uh, Artemis, and all that to work again in that area. You know, which opens up an opportunity for your team to snipe their ECM guy, and so then it becomes a, a back and forth battle. Yeah, it, it's a counterplay option, which is why I like it. That's true. I do like that that uh, addition. Yeah, if I use ECM, I will always make the argument with my opponent of let's use the uh, the expanded rules and tactical operations. Just gives it more flavor for when you're using it. Yeah. Yep. And it's one of those, like, sometimes your opponent may not always have the, or you may not have anything on your own field that has Artemis or anything that would benefit. So it can give some counterplay if you're using some cannon mechs. Yeah, I still like Guardian as 
it's that one piece of equipment that you can throw on one mech. And if your opponent is fully relying on like streak SRM2s or NARC or other fancy tech, like that just shuts it down. So I think it's always something you should have in your pocket that if you're kind of getting out-teched to just throw one quick Guardian ECM on a mech, and it just really helps kind of level that playing field by he's paying for all these upgrades, and now they're worthless. So that was pretty much all of our fancy electronic upgrades. Probably the simplest yet most required one, I would say, for advanced play would be case. This is definitely one of those um, equipment upgrades that if you're just playing a one-off, it, it has no impact on gameplay at all. But if you are concerned about your pilot or salvage or, or um, anything like that, it, it's a good way to keep your pilot alive for persistent campaigns. Um, originally, and I think still in the rule books, uh, it, it talks about if you're playing with your mech warrior, like with your pilot uh, in a mech, he will increase his skills through regular games that he play in. I believe it was something like uh, every four mechs that that you kill, you can um, lower your piloting or gunnery by one. Um, So it was always intended to be persistent. And with Case, uh, the whole mech wouldn't just get destroyed as soon as an ammo crit happened. Now, your pilot will still eject no matter what, whether you have case or not. If an ammo explosion goes off and you have not manually turned off your ejection system, then your pilot is going to eject, even if your mech is still functional. So it's not going to like keep you in the game, but it is going to keep your um, your your mech more salvageable and your pilot alive for persistent games. What about you, Kurt? Uh, yeah, it's definitely a nice upgrade. Um, for Inner Sphere, it can only go in the uh, torso locations. So it's definitely for those mechs that if you're you're bringing a lot of LRMs or auto cannons, machine gun ammo, any ammo to uh, to have case, you can survive a side torso side uh, torso explosion. Yeah, so I definitely think cases. I don't want to say required. But if I have like a one-off weapon, like a single SRM2 with a ton of ammo, I don't want to lose the entire mech just for that 26 rounds of missiles. I'm probably going to throw a case and just say, if you kill the mech still, like, that's fine. I can more, I can swallow that pill easier if there was case there. Yes, I know the side torso is destroyed or wherever it is, but I can hand wave that the mech itself was not destroyed it was just put out of action by that and if you're using case on on your mech you can say hey i turn off auto ejection and that way you know that even if you have an ammo explosion you can still use that mech until it is uh it is officially destroyed uh did we say what case actually does like rules wise (laughs) no no we didn't if you want to you can how case actually works is if you suffer a critical effect to one of your ammo bins that has ammo in it and you still suffer the explosion damage and it still does the internal to that location but any spillover like if it's uh you had a hundred rounds of machine gun ammo in your side torso with case it would still blow out the side torso but the location the extra damage would not transfer inward to your center torso coring out the mech 
right? It would just blow all that extra damage out the back. Yes. What's that like? Opening your door in a tornado or opening a window in a tornado so it doesn't destroy the house? I hadn't thought about it like that, but yeah, I bet so. Just just to relieve that pressure, you know? Those were all of the, I'd say, offensive and defensive upgrades possible. So here's to the what I would consider the first side grade, and that would be the Mimer Accelerator Signal Circuitry, also known as MASC. So the Myomer Accelerator Signal Circuitry system makes a mech capable of short-term bursts of speed at some risk to its fragile actuators. Uh, so what happens is that when you activate it, because you can activate the system at the start of any game turn before any mechs have moved, so you can't like decide, oh, it's my turn. Nope, you have to do it before anybody has moved. Then you announce that you're using your mask system and you roll a 2d6 on a 3 or higher your mech will run that turn at a speed equal to double its standard walking speed. Um, but if the roll is below that, so if it's a two, then your leg actuators freeze up, immobilizing you for the rest of the game. Um, that's not how they work. Oh, no, is that how they change? Because that's how I've no, always they, played it, no, but that's they how they changed. used to. That's how it used to. Now it's you suffer an automatic crit to uh, That's so much each, better. each leg location. That's so much better. Because then you up. can at least still walk. Maybe. <laughs> if you don't fall over. It's either, you know, the way I used to play it, because it's the way how the, the rules used to be, it doesn't matter. Like, you don't have a choice of ever moving again. You're just you're just immobilized for the rest of the game. So now it's just a crit. Yeah, I apologize for being an old player. So when a mask roll fails... The player automatically assigns one critical hit to each leg that has not yet been destroyed. So you don't roll on the determining critical hits. So if you're most mechs, it's going to be a crit per leg. So you could lose actuators. You could lose a jump jet or heat sinks that are in there. But it's not fatal to the mech's mobility. Not a guaranteed fatality. No, you just, as soon as this crits occur, yeah, you might have to recalculate your movement, allowable movement before you start it. So if you lose a foot actuator in one leg and a jump jet in the other, you're going to have to recalculate and lose that one MP before you do your movement that turn. So do you think mask is a super valuable advantage or just a fun new thing to play with? Well, if it was just that way every single turn... Um, I'd say that it was a significant advantage, but if you keep using it in consecutive turns, that three plus roll keeps going up by uh by two. two by two, I believe, every single time until you stop using it, and then it goes down by two every roll. So that definitely limits it to to quick bursts. And um, there are mechs that I would definitely put this on all the time. But most of the time, I, I don't, because it's just another role that I'm going to fail and, and my mech is going to break. I, I like it selectively. There's a yes. few there's a few mechs out there that I like it on. Um, I think light mechs can use it pretty well. Definitely ones that are more scout, like scout-oriented, that where speed, ground speed is key, they could use it well. Definitely not anything really in the heavy or assault categories. Right. I, I tend to use it on certain medium mechs if I have to do a smash and grab type mission. So I'll go in there, grab whatever I need to, and then hightail it out. Yeah. It, it 
it's gear for lights and mediums where yes. you need just a turn or two to get out of range. If you can risk getting out of line of sight of a mech that's about to light you up, it's worth that two up roll. Especially now that it's only crits um, instead of uh, being totally mobilized like it used to be. Because at least then you're like, if I don't get around the corner of that building, I am definitely going to get blown up by these four mechs shooting at me. So it is worth the risk to, to boost my speed and, and get to safety. Oh, yeah. See, I think mask really excels on like the medium and heavy mechs. I know it's a lot more critical space, which is kind of hard to put the rest of your stuff in. But I definitely think bumping up like those 5-8 mechs up to faster speeds or the 4-6 even, that's when you start to be able to engage earlier, dictate the engagement, kind of control the terrain, which really just ups your game completely. Like I've used it in a Phoenix Hawk, and I just ran circles around Dustin. Like It was actually insane how fast it was going, just walking speed. Like He was playing, I want to say, Clan Max, and it really just held the field held him kind of at bay because he didn't know where to move because I could match his speed. I mean, that kind of defined our entire game. Yeah, so putting a mask on a bigger mech, I actually think has a lot of value to it. And I don't think it's something that you should just dismiss immediately. So I would say, after we've gone through those pieces of equipment, I'd say the number one biggest upgrade from introductory tech to advanced or 3039 tech is the introduction of the Excel engine. And this Excel does not stand for extra large. No, I believe it stands for extra light, correct? It does. So a Excel fusion engine is half the mass for the same performance. But unfortunately, this takes up twice the space in a regular Intersphere mech. So that means you have three crits of engine in each of your side torsos now for that detriment um the the twice as big engine i really think that this piece alone like you said is so important because it just opened up so many more builds for 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 older mechs that people were getting tired of playing with it just opened up so many more opportunities to cram way more weapons and armor and equipment than they ever thought possible yeah. Um, it, well, it also allows them to either lower the engine size, reclaiming even more weight for the same speed, or they can use the weight savings to increase their engine and go faster while not lowering their weapon count. Yep. Just, just so many, it's just options. And I, as you know, I love anything that gives options. Like I said, I would say this is the number one upgrade to any mech that even if you keep the same speed, and size engine, just throwing an XL engine in there lets you open up so many more options for all the weapons, for armor, for equipment, for regular gameplay, at the detriment of possibly losing a side torso and the mech being completely out of commission. Yeah, a mission kill for a side torso. I would definitely make sure my armor is on the towards the max, and I do not like XLs on a lot of brawlers. Well, conspiracy theory time. Um, it was rumored for a while that the developers originally uh, suggested the XL engine in a in a way to um, to speed up the game so that side torso hits did take out mechs 
because classic battle tech games could sometimes take hours to play. Now, I don't know, like, I, I have no references or, or con- confirmations of that, but, uh, but it is something definitely whispered in the corners. I mean, it definitely makes sense that we've increased the offensive stuff so far. We've partially increased the defensive capabilities. But the biggest thing is, is now your mechs are going down, I want to say, like 40% faster. Once they do get hit, they're going to lose that arm and then they're going to lose a side torso. If they have an XL engine, that's just out. That's, in my opinion, almost better than force withdrawal. It is so much, it is so sad to to just uh, some lucky hits that, that keep rolling a six and just punch through your torso. And then that's it. Your, your nearly pristine mech is just shut down. There's nothing you could do. But yeah. I will almost always take that lighter weight to put more fun stuff on because I'm not there to play for five hours and plink away with two or three damage weapons. No, I want to run up. I want to shoot big. I want to roll big dice with big numbers and do big damage. Nice. Uh, all in all, though, I, I think that XL engines are a great addition, even for their shortcomings. And I am I am happy that they are part of the game. Yeah, for the most part, there's there's a few that it just does not work or where the design, they did not increase the armor. I don't like them there, but for the for the whole, they're good. Yes. I mean, you don't want every mech to be at max armor, especially the lights and the mediums and some of the heavies. Like That's kind of reserved for the assault mechs, in my opinion. But throwing an XL onto a light mech, that just lets you put either a bigger XL engine in so it can get faster, which is really nice for those scout mechs. Or it can put in new fancy equipment like a B-Galactic Probe or a Guardian ECM. You can even up the speed now that it has more room, keep the same weapons, put in something like a mask, or put in more support things so the light mech has a purpose on the battlefield. So we've talked about the equipment, we've talked about the weapons, but everything's essentially been upgraded except the armor. And then they found the blueprints for Indosteel and Ferrofibrous again, and that brought the defensive capabilities of mechs back up. So we'll start with Indo Steel. So Indo Steel essentially halves the weight of the chassis, but an in, at an increase in overall bulk, uh, taking up fourteen critical slots. Do you always put Indo Steel on a mech for those slots, or only when you can? It, it's a hard one. It's fourteen criticals can be a lot. So if you have, if it's a mech where you have very heavy weapons, but they're not very spacious yeah it's a great upgrade because it frees up a lot of weight from a fluff story like a campaign standpoint it's a hard to do field refit that's pretty much a factory refit if you want to get indo because they literally have to tear the entire mech down and rebuild it on new bones yeah because that's what it is it's is lighter bones of the mech Right, that's what I was going to say. Is that campaign-wise, endosteel and ferrofibrous? Uh, I'm going to lump them in together right now, just to briefly talk about a campaign. The the cost to repair endosteel is is the limiting factor, but because they both take up 14 critical slots, the the endosteel is just such a better choice when you're designing mechs because having the weight of your of your internal structure, at least in the inner sphere, is is always going to give you more weight than than the ferrofibrous armor upgrade would. 
Yeah. But repairing those in the field, the ferrofibrous armor is going to be cheaper and easier to repair than the endosteel internal structure. If memory serves, I think the weight savings generally goes, the biggest gains are from XLs, XL engines, then endo, then ferro. Yes. And 28 critical slots to do both. I don't know of many mechs that can actually take advantage of that. Some of the laser boats can do it. Light mechs can usually do it because they're not packing enough big crit hungry weapons to do it. Yeah. But then you're making your light mechs more expensive campaign wise than than, uh, your typical heavies or assaults. So you would do one if it was available? If it was just one that I had to pick for designing mech, 100% endosteel all the time. And ferrofibrous if you had plenty of critical space left. Or, well, they're both the same. It's just the fact that if like, you're doing a field refit somewhere in the field, do ferro. If you have a brand new mech you're ordering from the factory, do endo. Yeah, I think the only times I can get endosteel and ferrofibrous onto a mech is if I'm running a standard size engine. Just because I'm by that point, I've added weapons, I've taken up almost all the critical slots with either equipment or actuators or anything. So that is a big mech construction constraint. It is a big commitment. Yeah. Your mech's real light, but it's very full. Yeah. It's it's possible to do both, but yeah, you have to make some design concessions. So out of all the upgrades we've talked about tonight, what would you say is your favorite one, Kurt? Including weapons, equipment, armor, engines. My personal favorite, the LBX-10. (laughs) Damn it, I was going to say that. (laughs) (laughs) If I could only pick one out of all of that, it would have been just just that one autocannon upgrade. Yeah, followed very closely by uh, double heat sinks. What about you, Denim? Uh, okay. So aside from the fact that the LB10X is the greatest everything, I'm not sure if I could only choose one, if I would choose between the XL engine or the double heat sink. Um, I think they're both very important, but I think ultimately the XL engine would give me more options in gameplay. Yeah, I definitely think the XL is what truly separates introductory versus advanced, uh, the next technology tier up. For me, I would, I hate to say it, but I'm going to go with like Artemis 4. Like, that's a pure quality of life upgrade. Way better than Artemis 3. So much better. Just getting a little bit more on cluster rolls. As someone who shies away from missile weapons just because I don't like rolling on clusters and getting feel bad numbers on that, just something to get me slightly better. Like, Oh, this is always going to be plus two. You hit, it's plus two. Like that is much nicer for me to tolerate. And it's one of those quality of life things that I just look forward to and makes me feel better playing on the table with it. But I think all of the equipment brings a little something to keep the game fresh and introduce new ways to play. Like double heat sinks just open up so much throttle on my laser boats and XL engines give me more room to put anything that I really want to mechs. It's honestly very hard to pick one because they all kind of go together. Like not one piece of equipment changes the game completely. It's the fact that all the equipment exists and you can mix and match and make new fun combinations to get different things out of your mechs. So we've talked about all the upgrades. Kurt, is there a single mech that you would like to say exemplifies everything you talked about upgrade-wise? I've got a couple. I'm a fan of the Banshee. 
in 3025 play. I like the 3S. It's one of my common go-to assault mechs. So for me, when I go up in tech level, I like the Banshee 5S. It's got a nice double ERPPC Gauss rifle loadout, so it's a great sniper at range. I mean, that's 31 heat firing all that, but it has those double heat sinks, so it's sinking away most of that heat. And to do it all, it's got an XL uh, fusion engine. Yeah, I mean, that is a almost complete upgrade on everything without losing the spirit of the original mech. Yeah. What about you, Denim? What would be your single mech pick? If I had to just pick one, I'm I'm a Shadowhawk fan. I know that it's a crappy mech, but with this new technology, I mean, it would take the original Shadowhawk, keep it almost exactly the same flavor-wise, but just upgrade everything except for the medium laser. So they keep the regular medium laser, not the pulse. They don't upgrade it to a pulse, but they swap out the AC-5 with an Ultra AC-5, the uh, SRM-2 with a Streak SRM-2, and the LRM-5 with an LRM-20, taking its original 19 points of potential damage up to a um, potential of 39 points of damage, and letting it jump five eight five or up to 5 instead of just 3. So while it, yes, it still does have some flaws, like it only has case in one torso, but ammo in all three torsos. It's protecting the important ammo. It is a far superior, actually it is, because the one that doesn't have case only has six rounds of ammo. So you're probably going to get through those uh, before you get uh, torso breach. But I think that it fixed most of the major flaws in the Shadowhawk and, and makes it a viable medium mech choice. No, I like it. I like it. And like I said, that that upgrade to the Shadowhawk takes a middle-of-the-pack introductory, what I like to call a learning mech, to a actual combat battle mech. Agreed. Looking at the record sheet for your Shadowhawk, it has a XL Fusion engine and Indo Steel. Yes. That's how what they had to do to get it to the point where it could have enough stuff to, to, to be what it should have been to begin with. For me, I would say my exemplary upgrade mech would be the Sentinel. What is a joke of a battle mech in regular 3025 play with a AC-5, a small laser, and an SRM-2 now can hit you with an Ultra Autocannon 5 and a Streak SRM-2 for just a little bit more. Now, does that have an XL engine? No, that is still standard. See, that is fan- that is a fantastic upgrade for survivability. Yeah, so that's one of those. It doesn't upgrade all the things. It doesn't put all the bells. It doesn't put all the whistles on. It's just slightly improved weapons that completely make the mech much more palatable for use. Because shooting a single autocannon 5 isn't really worth it, in my opinion. But an ultra autocannon 5, okay, now you're competing with two medium lasers at a much longer range. And one refit of that even is with a Gauss rifle replacing that. So they uh, they <laughs> nice. understood that the Sentinel was not a good mech as a whole. Like the Succession War era version was not usable in mech-on-mech combat. But with the new technology, you can upgrade that to be a completely different machine, essentially. Oh, the uh, the version of the Shadowhawk is the SHD-5M. I realize I didn't say that. SHD-5M Shadowhawk is the one that I would upgrade. Does anyone have any extra thoughts to adding Lost Tech to games, whether they piece it out or just go full in and move the timeline up? 
I, I do have a quick thing that I'd like to say about it in general. Uh, I personally think that the occasional set of new equipment and weapons are an essential part of the growth of, of any hobby, but this one specifically. Uh, I do submit that with a few exceptions, the inner sphere upgrades are more like side grades or even downgrades. But I think that story-wise, which is how I like to play, it is an important feature. Th- this does happen uh, in the timeline around the time that the clans invaded. And I felt that the inner sphere needs to be seen as the underdog fighting superior bad guys. And if the tech for the inner sphere was suddenly equal to you know, all these awesome clan weapons, then honestly, the advantage would be completely with the inner sphere. And you wouldn't have that sense of pulling a victory out of overwhelming odds. I felt that the lost tech baby steps were a, a fun way of giving the inner sphere some toys while not making them instantly overpowered. And at least in our campaign games, as an inner sphere mech warrior, uh, my player's goal was always, you know, to capture that pristine clan mech so that they could be the overpowered one in the, in the campaign. So in general, I think that adding lost tech, even crappy lost tech, definitely an important step. From a narrative campaign or from a lot of the fluff stories, wasn't it that if they did capture mercenaries, did capture a clan mech, that they would usually just trade it in to get this Star League tech? Well, being that they didn't have the facilities to to repair or um, uh, or anything, you know, they they couldn't fix a clan mech if it ever broke. So, oftentimes, actually, I think lore wise, if a mercenary unit were to capture capture a clan mech, then whoever hired them uh, took that as as theirs. So, if they were hired by Merrick, oh, Merrick, you know, takes that clan mech. All clan salvage goes to them. So, they'd have to be very careful with their. Um, with their contract arrangements. Always read the fine print with Lost Tech. No kidding. So, Kurt, Denim, I'd like to thank you for coming on today to talk about upgrading your games from 3025 to the next era of technology and adding some Lost Tech in to spice up the game. Josh, it is always a pleasure to be on. Thank you for inviting me. Same here. Always willing to make an appearance. Thank you. So we did get some listener mail. This one's from Matthew Solis. I took a deep dive down the rabbit hole when I downloaded mods for the strategy PC Battletech game. MechHQ was the only path from there, and I find myself now with the Sarna.net constantly open up on my computer. I love the podcast because other Battletech podcasts I've tried listening to just seem like they're hanging out and talking with their friends. MechBay is a great resource for me, and I'm looking forward to more content down the road. Thanks, Matthew. We'd love to hear that people are actually enjoying the show. And don't think me and Dustin's friendship is too strong. We're definitely excited that once quarantine ends, we can get some actual games in, get some more battle report style and tactics going. But until then, thanks for listening and thanks for the fan mail. We love it. I'd like to thank Fortress Miniatures and Games for sponsoring the Lost Tech and Found episodes. They are definitely the place to go to if you want any of the new plastic mechs in singles rather than buying the whole pack over again. So check them out at FortressMiniaturesAndGames.com. If you like what you heard today, feel free to support us on Patreon at patreon slash themechbaypodcast.com. If you'd like to talk with us directly, you can join us on our Discord, which you can find linked on our Facebook page at facebook.com slash themechbaypodcast. Or you can email us at themechbaypodcast at gmail.com. Join us next week when I get Dustin back in the hot seat and we talk about 3D terrain and bringing it to the 2D tabletop.